Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast. We're bringing to you the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Fancy Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Shannon. She's the founder and CEO over at Captive. Thank you so much for being on here today. It's really a pleasure having you and I appreciate your time. I know that's super important for people like you, you know, entrepreneurs always on the go doing things uh, and innovating. So uh, right to start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, like your background and really what led you to actually build in captive. Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me on. Excited to talk to you. Definitely. I actually, come from a corporate sales and marketing background. I led sales and marketing teams. So you could say I'm a recovering executive. (laughs) I think I'm close to being recovered by now. I've been out on my own for about six years now. And before starting in captive, I had a health and life coaching business for a while and a communication consulting business, which I still do a little bit of on the side. You got to make a little bit of money to pay the bills, right? Right, right. (laughs) While you're starting a company. And so I really spent a lot of my career giving presentations, teaching others how to give presentations, and a lot of times, of course, in sales, those presentations had a call to action associated with them, and so whether it's sign up for my newsletter, buy what I'm selling, schedule an appointment, the problem with that was that the audience was excited to do that when they were in the room. Right. But then they couldn't take that call to action in the room. They'd leave, and then the presenters left with a lot of follow-up for a very small ROI because only about 1% of people convert after the fact. Um, So I had experienced this throughout my corporate career. I had experienced it as an entrepreneur myself, and I kept listening to other entrepreneurs and clients complain about the same thing. Mm And so one day I had been talking with a client who was having a panic attack for a big presentation she had coming up. And she was asking me all these questions about how do I make the presentation more interactive without, you know, there's always that one person that takes it off the rails and you got to get control back. And how do I handle Q&A? And what do I do about the projector? And do I use my computer or theirs? And it's all these technology and audience management questions. But then the big one came up of, Now I want them to turn into a client afterward. When's the right time? How do I know who to talk to? And so on and so forth. And I said, with all the technology that's out there, there's got to be some kind of solution, right? So I started doing what anyone does, went to Google, (laughs) started looking, and I found some solutions, but none of them solved all of the problems. Some did these two things, another one did this one, another one did these three, but There was no holistic solution out there. So I sat down one day, I started wireframing it out and showing it around to people and kept hearing, when can I sign up? And my answer was like, no, it's just a drawing on a piece of paper, (laughs) nothing to sign up for. And their response was, well, when are you going to build it so I can sign up? And that's when I knew I was onto something. So I decided to get some team members and some advisors and go off to the races. That's awesome. So aside of, you know, like building the product, how much technical, you know, like programming or developing um, experience did you have or how many people in that field did you know or how was it that you went from, you know, a drawing essentially to actually putting this together as an application? Because I feel for most individuals, right, like I feel like a lot of people have really good ideas. They just don't know how to actually go about executing so what was it like, how, how did you actually find the right people to connect with and who to talk to, to get this done? 
Yeah. Uh, because I had my own consulting business at the time, I was working out of a um, co-working space called the Innovation Center at the time. And so I'd built up a good community of people around there. And I also had some friends that were software engineers. My background is not in engineering. <laughs> I actually, funny enough, went to a special engineering high school for um, more traditional forms of engineering and then originally went to school for aerospace and mechanical engineering before I decided I hated math. <laughs> I was great at everything else. Um, and so I, I kind of tapped my network at that point in time and reached out to some people. One of the guys that was my original advisor was someone who helped build Priceline. He was there at the very beginning with Jay Walker, uh, and he was one of the lead engineers, eventually became their vice president of engineering, overseeing a huge engineering team with them and helped Jay start numerous other um, startups. So he was my initial advisor and gave me a lot of good early stage advice on what to do and more importantly, what not to do. And so... I think my advice to people would be get a good advisor, build a community, because having been in that community, it let me know people that could help and that might be willing to help or advise. And if those people weren't able to help, they knew other people who they could refer me to to help. That's awesome. Now, how, how long has Encaptive been around for? The idea was a little over two years ago. And we went through several iterations of prototyping and user feedback, um, market research before we ever built anything. Um, so first did some research with our wireframes and then built, I learned, I taught myself Proto.io <laughs> and I built the first version of the prototype, did a round of market testing with that, revised that, built a second prototype type did another round of market testing with that. Once we had things really worked out where we felt people were giving us really good feedback and liked what we were doing, then we spent just $5,000 on an MVP. Okay. And we debuted that MVP at a TEDx, actually. One of the people that was uh, in our, our second group of the prototype reviews as to give us feedback, he said, I'm giving a talk coming up. Could I use this? And my answer was, well, no, because it's a prototype. It doesn't actually create interaction and work. It's yeah. like, well, can you build it in time? And we had six weeks and we literally rushed, found a third party team to help us build it and got it done in time. And he used it at the TEDx. We got our provisional patent filed the day before. Wow. <laughs> um, and that was in March of last year. And then we... So we had the MVP ready then. We used the MVP for several months, tested it out, went to some big events like Tech Day, got a lot of user feedback there, um, and then started building the product. And so we put version one of the product out, um, the beta product, in December, mm -hmm. and we just released version 2.0 of our beta um, early this month. Sweet. That's nice. Congratulations. When... Yeah. when uh... The, the person that made the presentation with the prototype, essentially right after the prototype, was he like, did he mention that he was using Incaptive or any sort of, you know, kind of giving you some credit for that at all that maybe created more interest around it? Yeah, so he actually used Incaptive to give his presentation. So by nature, 
our product has a virality built in. When someone is using our product, people go to Encaptive.com. There's nothing to download. They go to Encaptive.com, put in a presentation code, and join the presentation that way. So everybody in the audience that joined was inherently set up with a free Encaptive account, right? And what was really cool is we weren't sure how this whole call to action thing worked, which I can tell you more about, but um, basically the presenter has the ability to push their calls to action out during the live presentation mm -hmm. as opposed to waiting until after everybody leaves and the audience members can complete it right then and there. But the completion rate for the call to action that he pushed out was 100%, which was really cool to see. That's really awesome. What is the ideal customer right now? Like, is it just anyone that's giving a presentation? Are you going after, you know, people in the startup community that like TEDxers, like who, like if you, I guess if you, like who's the ideal essentially, like what's the dream customer right now? The dream customer is someone who gives presentations on a regular basis. So at least weekly and they have some kind of call to action associated with it. And in our market testing and the early adopters we've seen, we have about a thousand users on the platform right now. It's small business owners, it's entrepreneurs, authors, also training experts. So people who do training and development because our, uh, like, um, like a Sandler training or something like that, because training professionals get all the data and analytics that, um, and captive provides that they wouldn't normally get for an in-person interaction. And also we're seeing a lot of adoption with things like pitch events because entrepreneurs don't usually get feedback at the end of a pitch event. It's either they won or they didn't. Yeah. And the people hosting the events don't get a lot of great feedback on which companies did well, what their audience is liking, what their investors are liking. It's all kind of, um, via verbal share and stuff. So this gives a lot of really great data and analytics that event owners can use, as well as the presenters can use to understand their audience, first of all, like who's engaged and what their engage engagement level is, is because we have a algorithm that calculates an engagement score for each audience member logged in, but they can also see content analytics. So they can know, for example, on slide 10, I got 12 questions, nine were basically the same thing. Now I know next time I give the presentation to go ahead and head that question off, right? And they can see on these slides, I got a, likes, a lot of likes and loves. Yeah. These, I got a lot of bored and confused. So there's a lot of really great analytics that come around in-person presentations that don't currently exist. And now they get to make decisions on their next presentation based on data. So that's super cool. Yes. Um, yeah. And salespeople are also perfect for us because yeah. they're giving presentations to a group and trying to sell something or complete that call to action. Awesome. So everyone that's using it right now, they're all on a free plan. The majority, we have a handful that are paying. Okay. Very cool. Yep. Are you currently funded? We are bootstrapping right now. Awesome. Yeah. We, um, we put in about, my husband and I, about 123000 of our own <laughs> dollars. Um, we said we were going to put in 50000 max. We well exceeded that. Yeah. And we raised 110 from friends and family. Okay. And we are looking to do an institutional raise now. Very cool. Very awesome. Now, when it comes to, aside from like the virality effect, right, what other things essentially are happening right now to to get 
users to start acquiring more people on the product or is that not necessarily the focus right now? That hasn't been the focus up until now. Our primary focus has been going to slow and steady, get it in people's hands, see how they're using it, see how they're not using it, see what they're trying to do that the system isn't delivering. And that's where this version two is now available. Um, and now we're just starting to move into our growth strategy. And to date, everything's pretty much been word of mouth, um, anything in that viral aspect and some organic social as well as events. And what we found is that doing events or having people who host events use in captive has been our absolute best customer acquisition. Because of library. Yeah, people are scared of things they don't know. They don't want to leave things that they're familiar with, like PowerPoint or something. And that's why we didn't build a slide builder. We built something that you load your PowerPoints or Google Slides or Keynotes into and use it as the delivery mechanism. And so once people get into it and use it and understand how easy it is to use, like we hear from our users, it took me less than five minutes to convert my PowerPoint slides, upload them, set up my entire presentation and go. Once people actually have that hands-on experience, they love it and they use it. So getting it in people's hands and actually getting them using it is the best acquisition um, so, model for us. What do you think is a, like, aside from using it, from actually like experiencing the product firsthand, what would you say is like the second biggest objection that you think you might face if you don't already know? Is it, I guess like, you know, is it education around the, 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 the product? Um, like, am I going to have to learn something new kind of thing? Yeah, that's, that's a fear people have is I got to learn something all new. I'm familiar with what I'm already using. Why use some, why try to fix something that's not broken, right? People don't love PowerPoint, but they, they're not motivated. They like it enough that they're not motivated to go out and do something else. Um, and so that, that does tend to be an objection, but what we found is our sweet spot is people kind of in their mid forties to the younger generation, 18 plus, because when we get into the older generations, they're not as big on using their cell phones and their technology in the same way that the younger generation does. Um, but we do have people within that older demographic that use this as well. But our sweet spot is more millennials and people that aren't afraid to try new technology. All the early adopters, all the visionaries. Yeah. Um, essentially, like, um, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say like, the strategy we're about to move into is to start going on things like product hunt. Okay, very um, cool and really start putting it out to those early adopters and getting that next level of feedback and starting to widen our user base. And the cool thing about this too is like, like you said, and, and it's also like what's happening, right? So like as time goes on, like all the people that aren't necessarily super tech savvy, um, they're kind of starting to fade out of the picture, I guess. So most of the people that you would go after and even just like as we move forward, they want to have that information or like if if i'm gonna go a presentation right now i would want to get as much feedback as possible because i know what i can do with that data um which yeah. is super interesting and i think that's what's going to be like one of the biggest you know selling points of it is like unless you have something like in captive you don't really know what's going on 
and yeah. following up with people and doing all that extra process is going to take time. You're not going to get it from everyone. Um, and okay. it's not going to be, you know, essentially statistically correct if you don't have enough. Um, yeah. which is, it's really cool. That's awesome. Now to talk a little bit more about like the personal aspect of building a business. Right. And to be honest, we don't, I don't have a lot of women on, on the show. So I think I, I, I would like to get this kind of, you know, perspective from you as a founder, do you think it's been more difficult to, to like get ahead and, and do things being a woman? I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Um, because I don't have another experience to compare it to. Right. Um, and I haven't gone out and really spent a lot of time pounding the pavement for funding. I've done a little bit, um, but not a ton of that at this point in time. I'm about to ramp up those efforts um, in the near future. But I would say I'm the kind of person that is super tenacious and does not really take no for an answer. If I take and get a no, I use that as a learning experience to improve myself the next time. And people laugh, but I like to use the analogy of being an entrepreneur with, you know, those blow up clowns that you punch them and they fall down and come back up. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And you're going to get punched a hundred thousand, 200, a million times, Mm -hmm. um, and have to get back up every time. And that's just kind of the approach that I've taken and have said, um, yes, I noticed in my corporate career, I got paid less and I had to work even harder to prove myself and stuff like that. So you have, you have seen it and, and I guess like you feel it, but not necessarily in the position that you are right now. And you don't know for a fact because you haven't done, I guess, what would kind of give that feedback. Right. So this is my first foray into doing something like this. So I don't really know. I do know the statistics around women trying to raise money and that we only get about 3% of of VC funding um, of all of it. And we get less funding compared to males when we do get funded. And it comes with more strings attached many times. So I've, I've read the articles, I've done the research and I think what I've done that's been a little different is for me, I'm very much a community first type of person. Like I'm the chair of Stanford Innovation Week, which is a nonprofit organization driving entrepreneurship and innovation here in Connecticut and the Stanford area and beyond. And people ask me all the time, like, how do you have time for that? You've got a company you're trying to grow and a startup. And and my answer is I have to make the time. I want to make the time because as an entrepreneur in this community, I want to see some things improve and change. I want to see the ecosystem get better and more supportive. And it does nothing for me to sit back and complain about it. If I want to see those things happen, I have to get involved in making them happen. And so that's what I did. And I found that getting involved in my community, even though it wasn't my initial um, goal and objective with this has really helped my business. I've been able to make political connections and connections with the state funding arm and all of these different things that have given me more visibility than I otherwise would have had. And so I think that's going to help me in the long run mm-hmm. um, with growing in captive. So to answer your question, I don't really know if being a woman has helped me or hurt me yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can circle back with you in about six months <laughs> after I've been pounding the pavement, really trying to raise some yeah. funds. Um, but 
I have gotten meetings with investors. Sure. And so, you know. Right. Can't, can't really tell right now, but I, I mean, you know, the stats are there. So I guess that is the, the unfortunate truth essentially. But like mm -hmm. you said, when you're an entrepreneur, when you know what it is that you have to do and, and you have what it takes to do it, then when you just get hit, you keep coming back and, and back until you get it. Um, so that's awesome. And it's really cool to hear, you know, when, when people like yourself are involved with the community and, and trying to give back and, and, and really just be a better person overall. Right. So that's awesome. Um, what's been the most difficult thing, um, you know, as you built your business on, on a personal level? Yeah. Um, on a personal level, it just, it's a lot of time and it drains you. Right. Um, I will say from a business level, it's funding, right? Trying to, investors are investing later and later now, even angels, they want to see traction, they want to see revenue before they start putting their dollars forward. Um, so that's on the business side. On the personal side, it's been difficult to make sure to take time off, to do things for myself. I'm pretty good about balance, but still it's like you never turn it off and I'll wake up in the middle of the night thinking about something I've got to do and it just, it creates a lack of sleep and a higher level of stress. And so from a personal level, that's been tough. It's been good though, because my husband's involved in the business and some people have said, well, why is your husband involved? Like, isn't that tough? And it's actually brought us closer together. And people worry that we'll be too easy on each other because we are husband and wife, right. but we are not that way. <laughs> you can ask him and he'll be like, nope, she doesn't take it easy on me. Uh -huh. um, we, we make each other better and we actually have different skill sets that we bring to the table. So I think it's actually brought us closer together and let us learn a lot about each other. But it does create financial strain that we are one income household now. Uh, so I would say if I had to really think about it, talking through that, the financial aspect of being broke, <laughs> mm -hmm. of not having a steady income while you're trying to grow this and really believing that it's worth putting in the time, the effort, the money, pushing, uh, pressing hold on other aspects of your career because you're so focused on this. Um, yeah. That's been the hardest thing, I think. A lot of sacrifice. Oh, 100%. Definitely. Yeah. What's been the best thing from it? I have learned so much. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. When I first started down this, one of my advisors told me, he said, I said, we're putting so much money in this. He said, think of it this way. How much money would you spend on an MBA? And you would be going and learning from a book and sitting in a classroom learning from a teacher. You are getting a real life MBA. So even if this startup fails, which is not going to, we are going to succeed. We're going to be a unicorn. <laughs> um, but even if it fails, think of it as you invested in getting an MBA, mm -hmm. like a hands-on MBA. So I have learned so much. It's been incredible, but I would say my favorite thing was something that was just an idea here that I dreamt up is yeah. now this real thing that people are using and they're excited about it. And like I was meeting with someone yesterday, he's like, every time I use in captive, it's so amazing. And I get all this data and analytics from my audience and I can push them my calls to action and they're signing up for things and buying things when they weren't before. So that is the most rewarding thing is being able to, to do that, to watch it come to reality. Awesome. That's really, really cool. If you could go back 
to, I believe you said two years ago when it first put everything together, wireframing, what would you have done differently from what you know now? What would I have done uh, it's a hard question. differently? It, it is a hard question because I feel like everything that I have done, I've learned something from. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few decisions that I made early on for like investments, things that I spent money on that I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. have spent money on in the early days. Um, and I think I would have spent more time in the MVP stage, really, really getting clear on the product market fit. Mm-hmm. Because we've been doing a lot of that in the beta stage. We thought we knew who that was when we were doing our initial early market research. It really clearly emerged that people in sales positions, people in educational and training positions, and entrepreneurs and small business owners would love this, right? Of everybody that we shared it with, but really figuring out um, who that strongest one was and how to get it in their hands a lot quicker would have been something that I would have spent a little more time on before going further in the process. Very cool. What is your, like, there's so many great companies in in the software, you know, startup space. Mm -hmm. Which one is one that you kind of look up to and you just say like, they're doing everything right, uh, you know, kind of thing. Doing everything right. Um, I feel like Slack's done really well. Most things right. (laughs) I feel like Slack's done really well. When you look at the freemium SaaS-based business, um, I haven't looked at the stats in a while, but the average freemium to paid is, when you have a freemium model, is 1% to 10%, and most companies range in the 1% to 3% are actually paying on a freemium model. Slack, I think, last I looked, was at 60%. So they're doing something very right in the way they've structured their platform. And I think their software is really great. I also really admire what HubSpot's doing. I think HubSpot's been doing a phenomenal job of growing and really putting forth a lot of really good, valuable content for their users, as well as providing things in a way that um, is easy to use and easy to understand. Um, So I I really like what they're doing. Um, My all-time favorite entrepreneur right now though is Sarah Blakely. She's non-technical with Spanx, but I think she's absolutely fantastic. I love what she's done and how she's done it and just how hard she worked to get where she is. Definitely. That's awesome. Now, what is, if you have one, your favorite book that, you know, has kind of shaped you and and taught you a lot of what you're currently implementing? I think it's probably a combination of books. I really like Hooked by Nira Yal. That's a great book. I like Don't Make Me Think because as someone who came from a non-technical background, uh, reading that, we put our product to what we call the grandma test, right? Is it so simple to use that our grandma could sit down and figure it out? If yes, then we're doing the right thing. If not, (laughs) then we're not. Um, Hence version 2. 0.0 right so I think that book was really good the founder's dilemma is been a good reference guide Um, there's a lot of them I I just love digging into to books they're they're great definitely and a couple last questions here where can people find you online 
uh, in captive.com. We do have, uh, we are a freemium model. There is an always free version of the software. It's not a free trial. So the, the beta is open. People can sign up. We love getting user feedback. So in captive.com and on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, and Instagram, we are at Encaptive, E-N-C-A-P-T-I-V. Same one everywhere. Awesome. So everyone, yeah. you're using anything for presentations at all, which you're probably not, just PowerPoint. Uh, check out Encaptive, try it out for free, and uh, give Shannon some feedback. And uh, last question, do you have any questions for me, Shannon? Um, what is your favorite question to ask founders on your podcast and why? I think it's the, it's the one that I asked you. I, I feel like I've been asking a lot more um, lately because I usually try to ask it when I have the opportunity, but you know, what is the one thing that you would have changed if you could go back? Because I feel like there's so much space and, and, and lessons, like you said, right? Like you go and you learn things, but there's always that one thing that once you know it, obviously, like you don't know what you don't know, but mm -hmm. once that time passes, you think back and say like, if I would have just done this, you know, from the beginning, uh, mm -hmm. and that, that's kind of like, I don't know if you've read the book, The Tipping Point, um, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like, once you get to that tipping point, you know, almost that you could have done it beforehand and, and almost gotten the same result um, just sooner, which is, it's, it's definitely interesting to, to know what it is that, you know, people like yourself are going through. And then when you think back to it, like, this is the one thing that would have kind of, you know, switched things essentially. Yeah. Oh, so, that's good. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being on here today. It was a pleasure having you and I'll see oh, you around. Thanks. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.